Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And this week, I would like to introduce you to Cody Voller. Did I say it right, Cody? You said it right. Woohoo! Big star for Vicki. <laughs> so Cody, say hi to everybody um, that's hi. listening. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, so, so Cody is kind of in my neck of the woods, but I'll let him tell us where he's living at. One of my favorite cities in the Northwest, honestly. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm uh, in Hillsborough, Oregon. I'm just outside of Portland. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, so I'm, I'm Southwest Washington. Most of my listeners know that. Uh, everybody thinks that outside of the Northwest, if you say you're from Washington, you live in Seattle. And I'm like, uh, Washington's kind of a big state. Yeah, <laughs> Washington or Vancouver, I think, yeah. or Seattle or, or Vancouver. I think is yeah. where people mostly jump to. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Now, you're not a native um, Oregonian, if I read right. Where were you originally from? Nope, I'm native. Oh, you were from Oregon? Yeah. I thought you lived in Astoria for a while. Astoria, Oregon. Oh, right, yeah. Right okay. on the coast. Oh, Vicki, you Astoria, Oregon. <laughs> that was silly. Not native. Okay, got you. My bad. So Astoria. Okay, goodness gracious. <laughs> yeah, born and bred. Yes, love Astoria. Um, we just were there a little bit ago. So Astoria, for those that don't know the area very well, it's um, our, our great little historical coast town before you get to all the beaches like Seaside. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and it, it, I feel like it's one of the most artistic artist communities there ever existed. <laughs> really cool. But recently, my husband and I were there and we're like, Wow, there's a lot of brew hubs that are popping up here and a lot yeah, of restaurants. That's super yeah. popular now. Yep. There's yeah. a lot of, you know, little boutiques popping up too. Mm-hmm. Lots of really nice places to to get lunch or grab a drink. So Yeah, yeah. It's definitely it's definitely now becoming a, a fun spot to go to. Of course, I liked it before it was that way. Mm-hmm. I like the water anywhere near water. I'm happy. So so Cody, let's get to know you a little bit more. Tell us a little bit about your background. What do you do? Are you a full-time author? Do you do something else during the day? Uh, I wish I was a full-time author. <laughs> uh, I do have a day job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm a security operations manager at Intel. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, grew up in Astoria, like I said. Um, went to school in Forest Grove uh, for college and then you know, kind of stumbled my way into the position I'm in right now. Um, wasn't definitely not planned out, but it, that's mm-hmm. how it turned out. So, mm-hmm. you know, I really do wish I could write all day. But. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do too. I dream of it <laughs> during the day while I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you have, uh, you're working on two books, right? I am. I actually working on a, a series of books. Oh, okay. I'm in book edits of book one. I'm not published. I haven't been picked up anywhere yet. I haven't gotten to that place yet. Working on book two and book three as well. And um, then I have another, I have four books, but I'm really concentrating on finishing book one right now so that I can start getting, shopping myself out to figure out where I want to publish, <laughs> how I want to publish all of that. Yep. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, um, so thank you for asking. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> um, so what would you like readers to know about you and it can be absolutely anything to do with writing but it can be a fun fact about you Cody you know that was probably one of the toughest questions because <laughs> uh, you know I, I as, a, as a writer you know we're either uh, the two ends of the spectrum where we're 
really outgoing and we like to talk about ourselves or we're like, you know, introverted and want to just like, let us write and let us do our work and not wanting to promote us, promote ourselves very much. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. One thing I guess I should really, I would like to, to let people know about me is, uh, you know, family is a really big, important thing to me. And um, I credit my dad uh, early on for encouraging me to be a big reader when I was little, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, which led me to, you know, want to start writing later on in my life. Um, growing up in Astoria, there weren't a whole lot of options for bookstores, you know? <laughs> no, there really um, wasn't, right? <laughs> there, there, are, there are a bunch now, you know, there's little stores that you can go to Fred Meyers, Costco, whatever. But back then, mm-hmm. you know, when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of options. Um, and every summer we would, uh, go out to Sun River, Oregon. I don't know if you've ever been there. Oh, I love Sun River. It's great, isn't it? It's really nice to visit. Yeah, Um, it is. One of our, our major trips would be stopping at Barnes and Noble. Oh, and I would, (laughs) I would walk out with a literal stack of books, as many as I could carry. Oh my gosh. Um, and the problem I would have is I would finish two or three of those books before our vacation was over. Oh no. <laughs> and so hopefully, you know, I could try and get him to take me back to Barnes and Noble and get a couple more books. And I think it would have been really, really easy for him back then to say, no, you got your stack. This is what you, you should ration it out. This is what you have for summer. Yeah. But he yeah. was really there to help feed my appetite for reading, um, which got me here today and, you know, feeding my, my desire to, to make my own stories. So, um, and I kind of stress a lot of family uh, ties in all the stories that I write because it's so important to me. Um, Lovely. Oh my gosh. Great dad. Good job, dad. (laughs) (laughs) But I can see it too, because many people need to like step back and think about um, life before even Amazon, you know, like, and, and not every community has a library. So I'm a big library because librarians are, you know, it's my background and, and not everybody has access to that in the, the, I don't think, did you guys have a library? We do have a library. The high school also has one um, that I believe you can go and check out books from. But my problem is I want to keep the book. You mean I want too. it on my shelf. I like, having, I like having physical books. Mm-hmm. And it's something I have to kind of, uh, you know, balance out of how mm-hmm. much space do I have and mm-hmm. how much do I yep. want to get in like, you know, ebooks and that kind of stuff. So. Yep. I am a book addict, um, to be truthful with you. And, um, we've moved several times in my marriage and, uh, this last time I swore would be our last time because we, my husband and I, the kids moved out. So we, we condensed down to a smaller home Mm -hmm. and literally the hardest thing for me to do was to get rid of books. I just, it's just like getting rid of children. I can't do it. I just forget it. So my loving husband has started to build me these beautiful inset shelves. (laughs) We have a craftsman home, slowly building little book nooks for me. He just finished one in the bathroom for me. Uh, (laughs) He's going to be doing one in our big, our our bedroom is going to be one whole wall of books. And I can't wait because I'm like, I'm so many books to put out. (laughs) Yeah, I I actually, on a recent trip up to my dad's because he's still got boxes and boxes of my books stored up. Uh, in my old room and I went through and I was like, well, here's the one, my keep pile. Here's mm-hmm. my, let's go to pals pile. Here's, do I have any nephews or nieces that might like these books kind of pile from mm-hmm. when I was younger. And it was really hard because I just wanted to, you know, keep all of them and take them all back with me, but I don't have room in my apartment. So. Yeah. But here's the beautiful thing about pals is um, you can take your books there and get credit to buy more books. It's like exactly. the biggest addiction ever. Right. Yep. So yep. It's, it's like, perfect. it's recycling. Sure. Yep. I love it. Oh man. And I know my listeners have heard me talk about pals. I'll take a, a 
trip to pals often, especially when I need to find some more artists to come authors to come on the website, uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Hmm, I bet there's some that I haven't met yet. And they're on the bookshelves. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I go and do yeah, that. I mean, they're going to host a, you know, even Barnes and Noble has a local, uh, author section, you know, in yeah. most of their places. So yeah. it's a good, good place to check out for people who are in the Pacific Northwest. It is. It is. And if you're visiting the Pacific Northwest and you're a book lover, you have to go to Pals in Portland. Just have oh, to. Oh, I agree. Yep. It's on your way to Voodoo Donuts. You know, Voodoo Donuts isn't that great, but the bookstore is fantastic. <laughs> so, okay. So, Cody, I, I was, you know, looking at your website and you have two books out. We'll get into those titles and stuff. But, you know, you said that you did a lot of reading as a, a a kid and growing up and when did you realize that you were a writer slash author when did that was there an aha moment you woke up and you're like i'm a writer (laughs) definitely when i was it definitely hit when i was older um but there were hints of it when i was really little uh and i'll tell this very personal story to uh, to a whole bunch of uh, unknown listeners when i was little i would uh sit in front of any kind of like flat surface and i'm talking when i was like four or five flat surface, back of the door, cupboard, cabinet, didn't matter. And I would sit there and I would describe what was going on like it was a TV. And Mm. I would tell this really vivid story of whatever's going on 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 this, you know, blank surface. Um, My dad would call it a pretend TV. Um, And and I would invest (laughs) lots of time. And that was me, you know, just using my imagination. And it didn't matter if someone was paying attention to me or whatever. I did it because I saw this story. you know, and then later, like in high school, uh, jumping ahead, uh, whenever we would have a creative writing projects in, in my English classes, I would always go above and beyond past what the requirements were. Um, you know, I would turn in whatever was required for the, for the class or for that section. And then I would take the rest home and I'd finish it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't for extra points or a better grade or anything. It was because there was a story that I saw um, and I wanted to finish it and I wanted to get it all down on paper. But it wasn't really until college when I really, really, really got rolling writing. And mm-hmm. it was kind of just, uh, you know, a natural evolution of talking with friends and stuff about the stories, mm-hmm. and stories we had or scenarios we made up or anything like that. So it was definitely later in life when I was in college that I was like, mm-hmm. I'm, I guess I'm a writer now, you know. So, Cody, did you major in fine arts or writing, uh, or what did you? No, major? actually, I majored in in uh, U.S. history. Oh well, heck, why not? Right? Because there's <laughs> right? so I mean, much we can write about it through that. <laughs> true, you know, uh, and I think I think it was just kind of a creative outlet because uh-huh. when it comes to history, it's all laid out, it's all there. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you can infer what you'd like from primary documents, um, and and you know use those details, but Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of, uh, revolutionary ideas for Mm -hmm. me, at least when it comes to American history. Mm -hmm. Um, and so writing just kind of was like a creative outlet of, Mm -hmm. of, you know, I'm, I, I understand the material, but let's, let's change it to fit something that uh, I would like to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that kind of jumps off into your genres because I know your genres are, but our listeners do not. So share with us what you're, what you typically will write in and what your, your books are uh, written in what genre? Uh, well, I've published, like you said, two books so far. Uh, mm-hmm. It's their first two in a four part series. Mm-hmm. Um, they're horror science fiction novels that span a zombie apocalypse both during and post. I love zombie apocalypse. Yes, I know. And that's one of the things I drew that, that kind of brought me to you is because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of people who are out there who love, you know, high fantasy, but yeah. will never touch a horror novel 
oh, or no, zombie apocalypse novel in their life. And I was like, well, it's, it's, they're similar, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. close, but um, yeah. So the first is called heroes aren't born and mm-hmm. the second is called heroes never die. Uh, they're book one and two of the survivor series. Um, and it was actually a single book when I first wrote it mm-hmm. um, and kind of going through uh, the publishing process and looking at everything. It was, I determined that it was too long for both traditional and self-publishing mm-hmm. because it was around 250,000 words. Mm. And that's, that's, you know, that's epic fantasy yeah. length kind of stuff. Yeah. And Which I love epic fantasy. Too, I, me too. Why not? Let's just keep going. <laughs> exactly. But when you don't have you know, a base like Tolkien or, exactly. or Martin to stand on, you can't really get that published. Yeah. Um, and so I had to make this very difficult decision on where I was going to split this book um, and, and write a whole new ending and a whole new beginning to make it, have it make sense. So you could trail out and trail back in without leaving on too much of a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and those aren't my only genres that I write in, but they're the only published ones that I've got right now. Okay. But I, I, I hear you, I feel like there's going to be more in your future. I don't think this is going to be the only thing for you. <laughs> You're right. I'm, I'm not done. Like I said, there's two yeah. more books planned in this series. Um, and then I actually did a catalog of uh, everything that I have written so far in its, their various states. Mm-hmm. And I think I have something around 15 different novels and short wow. stories. Nice. Um, so now it's just finding the time to finish all of them, right? That's the hardest part. Yeah. Isn't that the hard part, right? Yeah. I, I have myself on a schedule. So you, you did listen to the podcast, so you probably yes. are done hearing this. But <laughs> no, you know, no, let, us, let us all hear again. Okay. So the whole podcast genesis came from, okay, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to finish, start this book that I've had percolating for a long time, the story. So I started doing that. And then I started to meet authors and ask them, well, how did you get published? The the industry's changed so much, you know, from when I was looking at it. And back then um, it was, you know, traditional publishing and the only other kind of publishing was real vanity where you would, you know, books, you would go purchase them through a a company that would print them for you. But Mm -hmm. there's just nothing like it was now. And then Amazon, thank goodness, came into the world, changed everything, but I hadn't been up on it. So I started asking a lot of questions and I'm like, whoa, this is good information. Whoa, I like podcasts. Let's just put a podcast together. <laughs> Thus, my life has become podcasts and writing on the side, I feel mm-hmm. like. But, um, but what, what's um, so funny is the battle of time. It's just a real, you know, I work full time too, so I understand that. And, and family is important to me like it is to you. But the stories don't stop, man. They just want to keep mm-hmm. coming and coming. Exactly. So, yeah. So yeah. So luckily for us, I think we have a long life ahead of us, so we can continue. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, yes. I agree. So take us on your writing process. Um, so let's start with. We'll talk about the two books that you have right now. Did you start with a story in your mind, um, and then you laid it all out? Are you one that plans it? Do you put you know everything up on a board and you write from there, or do you just write and then go back and edit and change things to fit a timeline in your stories? Uh, well, my style has definitely changed from when I first started writing in college. Uh, I was definitely a pantser back then. You mm-hmm. know, I was, I had the story in my head um, that kind of evolved out of late night talks with friends. Um, mm-hmm. I, I found myself and, or, or me and my friends found ourselves coming back to the same questions and the same 
scenarios, you know, what would you do during an apocalypse? Well, what kind yeah. of apocalypse is it? Zombies? Is it whatever? And oh, so I think about this all the time. Just oh to, yeah, my you know, sister I, and I, I talk about it almost yeah. monthly. <laughs> um, you know, and we had other topics like how would you take over the world? How would yeah. you do whatever? But we kept coming back to zombie apocalypse, and I, I. My, my thoughts became bigger and bigger and the story kind of just started evolving. And so I went and I grabbed a blank notebook and just started writing. And, you know, it, it started off with what would I do during an apocalypse? And then mm-hmm. it was, what would I do with my friends? Where would we go? Mm-hmm. What kind of things would we face? And so I just had this story that I just kept scribbling it down. It didn't matter if it made sense right at that moment. It was, it was get as much as I could down on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and that got me through most of the book. I, I probably wrote 20-something chapters just like that, filling up, up a couple notebooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I slowly, I stopped and I, I, I looked at it, I reread it, and I was like, I need to get some sort of roadmap if this is going to become anything, mm-hmm. um, to me, even just to me. So I started plotting out you know, the next couple of chapters. I created uh, um, character sheets uh, for all of my characters, um, which I was lucky enough to have a large group of friends. And I just started picking and choosing characteristics from them and mm-hmm, creating mm-hmm. brand new characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now, you know, during when I'm writing now, I definitely kind of do a hybrid process where uh, I will plot out, do an outline um, mm-hmm. of all my major scenes. I might do a couple um, sections of major dialogue or, or what I want to happen. I'll do a character sheet. Um, and then I'll just kind of fill in each one of those chapters as they pop in. And I think it's really helpful because when I'm sitting there, you know, when my brain's off or I'm, I'm doing brushing my teeth or whatever, <laughs> I can, I can, I, I have this bit of dialogue or mm-hmm. I have this scene that pops in my head, a fight scene or whatever it is. And I have somewhere where I can insert it and I can mm-hmm. it goes right here mm-hmm. and I'll, and I'll, I'll remember it. I'll put a pin in it and I'll be able to come back to it later rather than just scribbling it down somewhere mm-hmm. in a notebook, you know, like, like uh, by the seat of my pants and, and yeah. um, losing it somewhere amongst all the other ideas. So yeah. The, yeah. the hybrid process, and, you know, and, and honestly, if an idea hits me, whether it's for a new book or if it's like a major scene change or something, I'll just start writing. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. go back to my pants or ways and just scribble everything out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think I will ever, ever break that habit because yeah. it's, just, it's just when there's something in your head, when there's that, that major scene, you just got to get it out and got to get it on paper. You have to. And that's where the creative part of it is mm-hmm. so much fun for those that aren't, you know, don't write like this, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's this creative part. And I, I started out being a total panster and then I realized I have three books and I'm never going to know. And it's historical fiction. So I wanted to kind of stay true mm-hmm. to some of the historical. And I'm like, Oh man, I need to, you know, really take some timeline and, you know, go through the characters and know who's doing what, and why they're doing and yes. you know, all that kind of stuff. But going back now through the writing process and editing of the first book, I'm getting back to the pantser part, but I know where everything's going to go. So oh, I'm yeah. feeling in pieces and that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You triggered something with me that I, I laugh because, um, you talk about brushing your teeth or, you know, and a yeah. scene will pop in your head. I don't know if readers realize how often this happens to authors. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, <laughs> all the time. Re- yeah. Recently I was, uh, driving into Portland with my wife and I just kind of started autopilot as smooth ride. And suddenly, uh, the rest of an outline for the rest of one of the books that I've had roadblock on for a writer's block on for 
almost a year now, it all just came pouring into my brain and I had her write it down while I was driving because otherwise I was going to forget all of it. So it's amazing when it, when, when inspiration strikes and it's kind of scary sometimes. It is, is, you know, I was, I was suddenly found myself focusing more on getting the story done than I was driving. So we kind of had to think back a little bit, but I was surprised that it, it all just kind of came together for me right there. Uh, you know, well, thank a, goodness she was I, there to write it down. Exactly. Because, I would have lost all of it. Or you could do a text-to-voice memo, which yep, is always a go. challenge because I always hate that for someone who <laughs> works right for me. And I'm like, no, I got to get it out. Um, my husband is will tell you he's he's knows there's moments, you know, I'll just be, we'll be hanging out, having dinner, or it's an evening we're out. And all of a sudden I'll get that glazed over look is what, are they talking mm-hmm. to you? And I'm like, yeah, I got to get it down. <laughs> I was like, just bear with me because otherwise I'm not going to be paying any attention to what you're saying because yeah, exactly. my characters are talking to me right now. <laughs> it's kind of that psychosis that I love, um, <laughs> the creative part of it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's the creative process, not psychosis. It's okay, creative, 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 wonderful process. Yes, it's it's really the fun part about it all. Um, the other part that you said that I have to share, because I don't know if I've shared this with anybody else, so now you're getting an exclusive, so I'll never write a, a, a zombie uh, apocalypse book mm-hmm. that I know of. It's not kind of in my my list of books, but I will tell you, so all my listeners know, when the um, apocalypse hit and it's zombies, you can go find me in the trees, because I'm convinced that <laughs> zombies can't climb trees to save their lives, so I'm going to be building myself a fort up in gigantic trees in the Northwest, and <laughs> that's where I'm hanging out. <laughs> Uh, all that underbrush should help, you know, slow them down a little bit. If they're yeah, coming yeah, you, so. yeah. My sister and I always have conversations of where they're going to be finding us. I can guarantee you I'll be in the trees. <laughs> you know, it, it does depend on what kind of zombie apocalypse you're I looking know, at. So. I know, I've heard this before and I've read that there are, <laughs> you know, some. And I'm like, nope, in my world, the zombies aren't climbing trees. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. So talk us through Cody with the um the publishing process for you because I did read on your you know your website in your bio you talked about you know you started out with the idea of going traditional mm-hmm. and then you've ended up with self-publishing, which um I think is a great option. So mm-hmm. share with us um that process for you. So like I said, originally it was two books. Uh or I mean it was one book, I split it into two. Um and that was after talking with a couple of uh, authors on online, you know, how do I, how do I approach this giant book that I've got and who would ever want to take it on? Mm-hmm. And, and the problem I faced was most major publishers don't take on unsolicited, unsolicited manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to have a, a literary agent. And at the time I didn't have money for pretty much anything, no editing, no coverage, no design, no nothing. Um, but I sent it to some smaller places that were accepting unsolicited manuscripts and I got rejected, which was fine. You know, I, I didn't expect to be picked up right away. What bothered me the most was the the lack of response, the silence mm-hmm. that you get from mm-hmm. a publisher. It's hard. <laughs> I know I would, I, you know, I hate sending off something that is as an author, it's important. It's, it's your, it's your baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and sending it off and getting nothing for two mm-hmm. or three months. And you mm-hmm. just kind of got to pack it up and go on to the next one and, and, and kind of never give up. Um, but I went through the rejection process. I went through the silence process. I said, okay, I guess it's not, you know, the market isn't, you know, uh, ready for another zombie wave. 
even though I feel like it's pretty much an always popular genre. Absolutely, we always yes. <laughs> uh, but it was, you know, Walking Dead and everything. Mm-hmm. It makes it super popular for a little while, and then it kind of goes away and comes back. But I put the book on the sh- uh, I put the books on the shelf for a little while, and I and I moved on with some other short stories, uh, some other books that I was working on until I kind of got that itch again of all right, let's try let's try getting this published, and that's when I really looked into uh, self publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a lot of a lot of research on KDP, which is Amazon service. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at a couple other ones online and kind of finally settled on Amazon. Um, I have a friend from college who actually does graphics design. I was going to ask you. Yeah, <laughs> so he, yeah. He, he does a lot of different kinds of artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of contacted him and I offered him, you know, the idea. And he's like, well, this isn't really what I do. It's not really my art style. I can recommend a bunch of other people. Um, I can recommend a bunch of services. So I checked those out and no one was, no, I didn't find anyone I liked or mm-hmm. no one was taking on new work. So I went back to him and was like, hey, thanks for all the resources. I'll have to go look somewhere else because no one's really fitting what I'm looking for. And he's like, I'll take a shot out of it. Oh, but cool. I sent him this scribbled up, you know, piece of paper <laughs> that, I, that I had scribbled out the, my idea and he took it and he turned it into something really, really cool. I yeah, think. they're very great artwork. That's why I was going to ask you about it because yeah, I've well, a lot of self-published artwork and yours looks great. <laughs> yeah, you know, people say don't judge a book by its cover, but we do it anyways. We do. And so that's, that's your first selling point, you know, before, mm-hmm. they, before they flip the book over they're going to, you know, a reader's going to look at the cover and they're going to, they're going to figure out if it's something that catches their eye or not. And I, and I invested a lot of, you know, revisions with him and a lot of time to get it to where I wanted it. Um, mm-hmm. And he, I think he did a great job with really with both covers. Um, they're kind of both scenes from uh, somewhere inside the book that I kind of wanted to project and portray. Um, and so once that was done, uh, I went through the stories, editing them again and again and again. Um, and we can go into the whole editing process mm-hmm. later if you like. Yeah, but then, I want to. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> Uh, and then I, you know, I uploaded and, um, you know, I did the proof process. I sent it out some, to some of my friends who are my beta readers from when, when I was first writing mm-hmm. and, um, they really seemed to enjoy the cover and they knew the story and they still wanted to read it again, which shocked me, you know, uh, they had read it so many times and they had read different revisions of my story, but the fact that they still wanted to read it kind of gave me more hope to like keep going with the self-publishing process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I self-published the first one, I think it was September 1st of 2018. And then a couple months later, I put out the second one. I was really excited to get the second book out there mm-hmm. because, because the story was done and it was, and I had the cover and it was all ready to go. So I didn't want to wait, you know, yeah. any, much longer. So, but yeah, the, the hardest part about, you know, going a, tra- a traditional publisher is uh, the waiting game. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's what really kind of burnt me out on that process. And I would love to go through a traditional publisher mm-hmm. for one of my other books after this series is done. Um, but for now, I think with at least the Survivor series, I'm going to keep self-publishing through Amazon. And and I've I've talked to a lot of authors, and not just on the podcast that have come on the podcast, but a lot of authors will have specific books that they're like, no, I just want to self-publish this particular mm-hmm. book or the series. And then they write another book and they do go the traditional route or a hybrid route. And um, 
and they're very happy with that. And that's what I think is so beautiful about the industry is that it depends basically on the book or even the specific time in that author's life. It doesn't have to be you're only self-published or you're only going to, you know, uh, be traditional. I like that that there's some fluidity in there. Yeah, I think it's those those labors of love, mm-hmm. right? That you just want the stories you just want to tell for you, and and it doesn't matter what the market demands. You know, mm-hmm. you could you could craft a book that's going to fall into some niche market that is really popular, you know, right now, but it may not be the story that you want to tell. Yeah, so exactly. That's where, that's where self publishing kind of comes in. It's really useful is whether you've written one book or a dozen books. If it's the story you want to tell, you're, you're going to have the resources to get it out there and no one can stop you. Yeah. And that's something that I'm not sure if, if readers understand how much the process, you alluded to the, the editing process and we're going to jump there in a, in a bit. But what I realized going through the editing process of my work right now, you really need to love the story a lot because you're spending a lot of time with the story and the characters and the details to yep. the point of where it almost can be like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, I just, no, I, I agree. Yeah. There were moments when I was like, is it worth reading this story, this chapter for mm-hmm. time this week, you know, after I made these revisions? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it if you don't love your story, you're going to end up hating your story. And then, exactly. Yeah. You know, and then it goes on a, on a shelf somewhere or gets lost on a flash drive and you never see it again. Cause you're, yeah. you're just so done with it. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So talk to us about that process with your beta readers and the editing process a little bit. So um, when they shared feedback to you, did you immediately go right back into, and, and I'm sure you used some of the feedback, may, maybe didn't use all of it. How did you do your editing process? Um, I guess so. I should back up a little bit. Sure. When I when I wrote, you know, everything down in notebooks, and I said I used my friends as characters or combinations uh-huh. of them, they found out that I did that. Oh yes. So how did they feel? <laughs> oh, they were they were excited because they oh, wanted to know. They wanted to read the story, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, you know, I never told them which characters they were. I never told them the combinations, and I still won't today. I, I, I sometimes they still ask, but I still say no, including my wife. She wants to know, and I tell her no. <laughs> It's a um, secret that's going to with it me. Is, it is. It is. It's going to stay with me as long as possible. Yeah. Um, so they they learned that I wrote this. And so I was like, okay, I will type up what I've got and I'll let you read it. Um, and I, I put it up on the internet, um, mostly out of ease of access for them so they could go ahead yeah. and, and read whatever I was writing. And then I actually got people reading online, uh, which I hadn't expected to happen because it's not like I promoted it or anything. Um, and there were a couple of people on there who really liked the story, uh, who I'm still kind of in contact with now, who I bounced ideas off of. They were my first sounding board. Um, and then my friends became my beta readers for each one of my chapters before I would post. Um, and they really, I mean, I really credit them and they're in the dedication to both of my books so far, um, because I would stay up and write 30,000 words a night. And I would post them online for them. And by the time I woke up, they had read all of them. Oh, that's awesome. And more. And I was like, I don't know if I can do more right now. <laughs> I'm but burnt out, tired. Exactly. No, but they, they really drove me to, to, to keep, you know, writing chapters mm-hmm. because they just really wanted to know where the story was going. Mm-hmm. So got it online. Um, once I decided to do the publishing process, obviously I pulled it all down mm-hmm. and went through all the editing. Um, and... 
the story was pretty finite by then. There wasn't, wasn't a lot of changes to the actual plot uh, or any of the characters. It was, um, I had spent so much time writing this and, and it was written in so many different phases mm-hmm. and, and states of my life, whether it was mm-hmm. sleep deprived or a couple minutes at work at break, or I jotted mm-hmm. down something mm-hmm. um, that I needed fresh eyes. And so when I would send, I sent them proof copies and they would find the things that my eyes would skim mm-hmm. over because I'd read this so many times. Mm-hmm. I knew what was going to happen. I knew what character was coming up. I think a couple of times I wrote Christian instead of Christina. Mm-hmm. I've done that a lot. Yeah, with right? it really, yeah, it's <laughs> really changed the scene a lot because now yeah, there's yeah. some random person in there that never, was never there before. Yeah. But I needed fresh eyes for, for the story because I'd read it so much that I knew exactly what was coming. And my eyes, I would find myself... Uh, three pages on and not have actually read any of the words because I knew mm-hmm. what was going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So, it's almost like our brains and the story is going way faster than we oh, can yeah, type, right? Sure. <laughs> and so then there's these gaps. You're like, what did I say? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. And so they were super helpful in that process. Um, and they didn't have a lot of critique of the story because they had read it before and, mm-hmm. and they all liked where it went. Um, though some of them will... Uh, say that they're still mad at me for some of how, how some of the story turned out. Um, Perfect. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, it's that emotional response you want to listen. Yeah, from the exactly. Reader, that's all that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So yeah. send out proof copies, have them go through. They either, you know, sent me email or they sent me pictures or they said where I messed up and I would go through and fix all that mm-hmm. and um, upload, re-upload the manuscript to get it ready for actual self-publication. Nice. Um, yeah. And it, it's nice that I'm still able to rely on them even now, you know, mm-hmm. after years and years of the same story, um, asking them what they think of this or, you know, um, being able to talk to the online community of, of the website that I posted to a couple of key people who were there when I was first writing everything and I could bounce ideas off before I even got to my friends mm-hmm. um, and helped, you know, kind of craft me and craft the story with me. Mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm, I, I said something in my dedication to them as well about, you know, helping me mm-hmm. um, find my, my own voice, my own style of writing um, mm-hmm. way back when. Yeah. I honestly didn't believe the, the concept that authors really need to write with other people in the sense of getting a lot of feedback because it was a foreign idea to me because I was so solitary before this last year. I would just write, 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 never really felt comfortable sharing it with anybody. I was very scared, right? It's like, don't want anybody to critique me. Um, But then I was uh, invited to a wonderful really good critiquing group writers we're all writers and we're all working on books and being published and some have been and it has been the most enriching experience I've ever had and it doesn't feel like negative critiquing when they're telling Mm -hmm. me oh you know your your character probably would probably be more like this or do this or in this time period you might want to look this up it is so valuable to have that input and it just makes your writing so much better (laughs) well I mean writing is a very solitary thing and it's mm-hmm. it's the story that you're coming up with and you're either using your experiences or how you would react to life or you know yep. what you your your belief system it's all very personal no matter what story you're writing it's it to me it's a very personal thing mm-hmm. so opening up mm-hmm. to someone else to critique you or even admitting you might need help or support is yeah. difficult you know and i was i'm right there with you for a long time i was my writing was just for me 
and it wasn't for anyone else. And when it came to self-publishing, uh, I thought, okay, well, I'm going at this alone too, right? Mm-hmm. I've, I've written the story. I'm going to publish it by myself. I don't need help. And I definitely learned a lot uh, mm-hmm. during the whole process and learned that it's better to ask questions and get as, as much help as you can yeah, uh, because yep. we're all trying to we're all trying to write our stories and get them out there, and mm-hmm. we might be competing in the end, but it's mm-hmm. still a group effort. Well, there's enough readers out there for all to get our books exactly. out. <laughs> exactly, I'm a believer in that. You live in the Northwest near Portland, you know there's enough readers out there. <laughs> so, so Cody, what keeps you going? Um, what what or another way of thinking about what's your inspiration? Like I said, I think a major driving force behind uh, wanting to write another story or finish this series is the emotional reaction I get from a reader. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. If I can get you to feel something with just words that I've put on paper, um, if it's, you know, whether it's laughing or crying or getting mad at me or the characters, Mm -hmm. that's, that's my end goal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew I wrote a good story, uh, early on when I was, when I was first publishing everything online and sending it to friends, when I got a picture of one of my friends reading my, one of my last chapters with her, with her hand over her mouth, (laughs) just on subconsciously covering up her face, like, Oh, what's going to happen next? And I was like, that's what I wanted. That's exactly what I'm going for. And if I can make, or if I can make you cry over something Mm -hmm. that happens, Mm -hmm. or if I can make you get, you know, mad, that's the, that's the good sign of a, of a good writer is when they can get that emotional response. And that's definitely mm-hmm. something that, that, um, drives me to, to keep writing because I love being able to do that with people. Yeah. Uh, that, and that, and if I don't put this on paper, then these are just gonna get stuck in my head and it's gonna, yep. it's gonna just be for too much. It's gonna fill up exactly. my brain. There's gonna be too much space. rattling around in there. Yep. Totally understand. Exactly. Totally understand. I love it. I love it. So Cody, let's set the stage for us hearing a little bit from um, your book. So tell us which one you're going to read from first. And so my listeners know to head to the show notes so they can find you and find your book and, and your website's very well done too. So I wanted to oh, give you news on that. I, are you doing that yourself? You're, Yep, doing that myself. Yeah, very nice. Very nicely done. So um, <laughs> thank you. So uh set the stage for us. Share what you want to share with us briefly about the setting of this, you know, what you're gonna read. And everybody knows I go quiet so we can avoid any dog barking during your reading. <laughs> <laughs> sure thing. Um I'm gonna be reading from Heroes Aren't Born, the first book. Um a kind of we're stepping into the middle of the story. Um our our characters have all uh, escaped the initial outbreak and are kind of facing a little in, inner turmoil right now um, as far as large groups go and um, their reaction to, you know, some, uh, some trauma that's happened to them recently. <clears throat> as I put my pistols back in their holsters, the door opened and Sarah walked in. I let out a long breath and stood. So who's the new head honcho? Someone everyone agrees will be best for the job. We voted like you said, and it was unanimous. Just tell me it's not Jason. Tell me they chose you. Please let it be you. No, they didn't choose me, and they didn't pick Jason. Then who? You really are an idiot, aren't you? She said, smiling. I just gaped at her and shrugged. We chose you. Now I think we may have made a mistake. What? Why? Are you kidding me? We know what you did was the right thing. We know it was hard for you, but you did it anyway. And we're not stupid. 
You're the one who got us here, kept us alive. No one here can say they've done that. I just stood there in silence until something dawned on me. Now I'm going to have to deal with Jason, I said unhappily. Sarah laughed loudly. Comes with the job. Dang it. Okay, let's get this over with. Walking outside, I asked, wait, you said it was unanimous. Even Jason and Hannah? Well, Hannah realized that you were the right, that you were right. Even, and even though she was still upset, she agreed that you were the best choice. And Jason? After he got his breath back and got off the ground, he was no longer, he realized he no longer had any support. And after some thought, he realized he was being an idiot. I was worried that I may have made him more of an enemy than a friend, but I would deal with that when it came around. I'm sorry for the things he said about you. Thanks, but you don't have to be sorry. You didn't say them. Plus, I can take care of myself. I know you can, but it made me so angry, just like you knew it would. I've never had a guy fight for me like that, she teased. I smiled and kept walking, mumbling under my breath. I do more than fight for you. What? She asked. Nothing. No, you said something. What did you say? She frowned suspiciously. I didn't say anything. She looked at me pointedly. I swear. She shook her head and kept walking. Reaching the rest of the group, who were all standing in a half circle, I looked at each of them in turn. So you've made your choice? There were scattering nods of approval. Fine. But I want to make this very clear. This is the second time you've chosen to follow me. I want you to remember that I didn't ask for this. You did. Jason, let's talk. I walked past the silent group towards the pole barn. I knew Jason was following without looking back. He wouldn't ignore me after our fight in front of everyone. Not after they just showed their support for me. I opened the door and gestured for him to enter. He did, and I closed the door behind us. I went and sat down at the table that I had moved in here, and he went and waited until he sat across from me. So... What the heck was that about? I was angry. Well, that was obvious, I said, throwing my hands in the air. I'm angry too, but I'm not picking fights. What I want to know is, what exactly are you angry at? I'm sure what you said out there was true. I'm sure you're partially angry about Sam, but that's only part of it. What's the other part? There's no, yes, there is. I know you're full of it. So let's hear it. Jason stood suddenly like he was going to leave, but he started to pace. I could tell he was trying to figure out the best way to phrase what he wanted to say. When he looked like it was all about to burst out, he said, I guess it has to do with the first day. When you were trying to convince us to go, I wouldn't listen. And you turned out to be right. And then you wanted to stop and find Michelle. I didn't want to. And when I volunteered to lead away the walkers, I messed that up too. From day one, you fall into this role as a leader. Everyone just listens to you. Back at school, I knew what I was doing, where I was going. But now, now I don't know. I guess I was angry because you were handling things so well. You always seemed to be in control. I wanted to see you lose it, to get angry, anything other than calm. So I hit you and said that stuff about Sarah. Sorry about that, by the way. I think I went too far. I know you have a thing for her. I just shouldn't have done that. Holy crap, is he jealous, I wondered. No, you shouldn't have. But if you wanted to see me angry, then that was the perfect thing to do. Just so you know, it's just not a thing for her. I don't know what it is, but it's more than just a thing. 
Look, I'll let you in on a little secret. I'm almost as lost as you. I might look calm and have a plan, but I'm pretty much making things up as I go. I'm just trying not to do what they do in the books and the movies. I know what to look for. That's the only difference. That's why I reacted without much thought. I guess you could say I was as ready for this as I could be. Wait, wait, wait. Books? Movies? You're telling me that you kept us alive on what you've learned from books and freaking movies? That takes balls, man, he said finished, He said, laughing. Yeah, well, you show me one time in history where zombies have taken over, and I'll use that as a reference. Until then, movies and games are all I have. That's why I need all the help I can get. That's why I can't fight with everyone who disagrees with me. Speaking of which, sorry for being harsh on you, but you kind of upset me. It's okay, he said, rubbing his throat. I guess I asked for it. Sorry about the punch. I'm sure I was sure you would have moved. No worries. You hit like a girl anyways. Actually, scratch that. Sarah hits harder than you, I joked. Oh, screw you. No, really, man. You're a sucky fighter, I laughed. Oh, sorry. We can't all be Bruce Lee. I can show you how to fight, so next time you decide to do something stupid like that, you'll at least have a chance. Yeah, okay. Good. I'm already working with Sarah, so after I get done teaching her the basics, I'll start working with you. Oh, he said. What? You're teaching Sarah how to fight? Yeah, she asked me to. Oh, he repeated. She was already scary before, but now that you're teaching her, I think I'd rather face walkers than make her angry at me. Might I remind you, I said, grinning, that you just insulted her in front of everyone just a little while ago? He paled and said, Oh, for the third time as he sunk into his chair. I guess I'm lucky I only wanted to fight you. I laughed and got up. Come on, you can go beg for mercy. He stood with a groan, holding his side, and left the pole barn with me. We returned to the group, and I, well, I guess I hadn't expected to see us coming out smiling. So, is everything okay between you two? asked Liz. Yeah, I said. We reached an understanding. Good, so we're one big happy family then, Jessica said sarcastically. I guess we are. Ah, oh, man, Justin mumbled. What? I've got one messed up family, he laughed. After a second's pause, everyone else began laughing too. The laughter seemed to drive away the darkness of the last 48 hours. For a whole minute, the thing seemed almost normal, almost happy. When the laughing finally faded, we began to disperse, each returning to their own tasks. That night, after dinner, I was dead tired. My hands and muscles ached, and all I wanted to do was crawl into my bed and pass out. Unfortunately, I couldn't fall asleep for too long because I had the second watch. I figured it would take a brief nap, but when I got to my room, I found it occupied, Sarah sitting on my bed, reading a book. Well, hi, I smiled. Hi. What are you reading? She held up the book. The Shining, I raised an eyebrow. That's not really bedtime reading, is it? Not really, but most of these books are about history, she said, gesturing to my bookshelf. Sorry. She closed the book and put it away. So what's up? Nothing, she, sh- she shrugged and smiled. What are you smiling at, I asked. How do you do it? What? Do what? How can you beat someone up or lock them in prison for a night and just talk to them and make everything okay? I laughed. I don't know. It's just one of my many talents, I said sarcastically. Oh, whatever. I just can't win, can I? Now you're catching on. 
this has been a long freaking day. I said, putting my hands in my face and sitting on my bed. Oh, you poor baby, she said with false sympathy. Hey, I got punched in the face today. Yeah, but we both know you could have moved. I guess that's true. I'm going to rest for a couple hours before my shift. Okay, fine. I'll leave. I didn't say you had to leave. You could stay if you want. James, she said with mock outrage. What kind of girl do you think I am? I think you're a girl who likes to nap, I said, smiling. Oh, okay. We were both still in jeans and t-shirts. I wasn't going to change because I would be up in a few hours, but I knew she'd be uncomfortable sleeping what she had on. Do you want something to wear? I know your room is so far away, I said sarcastically. She rolled her eyes but said okay. I pulled out a pair of basketball shorts and a t-shirt. She took them and raised, and raised an eyebrow, saying, Turn around and no peeking. I laughed and turned away, covering my eyes to assure her I wasn't looking. After she, after she had changed, we climbed into bed and fell asleep almost instantly. A few hours later, I sat up groggy and sore. My muscles were cramped and my jaw hurt, and I, but I pulled on my boots, my sweatshirt, and my guns. Yawning, I made sure Sarah was covered and headed to the roof. I greeted Matt as I passed him and took the rifle. Just as he was about to climb down the ladder, I called out to him. Matt, are you and Hannah? He smiled. Yeah, sort of. I nodded and said tiredly, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told Jason. If you hurt her, the rest of the girls are going to come after you, and I won't stop them. My advice? Don't hurt her. Okay? Yeah, okay. Cool. Have a good night. Night. I walked around the roof to wake up and sat down to stare into the darkness. My only thoughts were climbing back into bed with Sarah when I heard something that snapped me back to reality. I pulled out my radio and said, Matt, Matt, yeah? Like Thomas and Jason, get up here now. What's up? Just do it. I'll explain when you get up here. You got it. We'll be there in a second. As I stood there and listened, I thought to myself, this could be interesting. Chapter 13. I stood there, straining to listen. I heard the guys climb noisily up the ladder, drowning out what I was really trying to pay attention to. I heard as they walked right up behind me, but I didn't turn or acknowledge them. I listened until I could hear it again. It was faint, but it was still there. Thomas became impatient at seemingly waking up for no reason and asked, so what's up? I held up a hand and said, just listen. Listen and tell me what you hear. After a few seconds of silence, Jason said, I don't hear any there, interrupted Matt. I hear it. Is that really what I think it is? I think so, I said. What? What do you two think you hear? Asked Jason. A motorcycle, I replied. It's way off, but it's getting closer. Holy crap, says Thomas. Should I get the others? No, there's no need to wake them or cause a panic. Let them sleep. Well, what are we going to do? Asked Jason. I handed Thomas the rifle. I want you to watch our backs. If anything comes out of the woods, or more people appear, and I do this, I wave my left hand high in the air. I want you to take them out. We're going down to the road to get a glimpse of our mysterious rider, and keep guard if he decides to stop. The three of us climbed down the... I'm going to pause for a second. Take a sip of water. Sure. Sure. (laughs) <clears throat> All right. 
The three of us climbed down the ladder while Thomas stood on the roof, lifting the rifle towards the road. You guys have lights? I asked them. They shook their heads no. Neither do I. Jason, grab some from the armory. Yeah, sure. Do you hear that? Asked Matt after Jason left. It sounds a lot closer. This guy must be hauling. He was right. This, the sound of the bike was a lot closer. This guy was definitely not going the speed limit. Yeah, it must be. Come on, let's head down. We don't need lights yet, and Thomas has our backs. We started down the driveway, discussing what the presence of another person could mean. What if this means there are a bunch of others, offered Matt. Well, that could be either good or bad for us, I replied. Bad? Why bad? Think about it. We have a lot of supplies. Food, water, guns, ammo. I'm not to live off for a while. We have the relative safety of our fence and plenty of space to grow food if we needed to. But if more people show up, then we'll either have to give it up or fight to keep it. Either way, it's a lose-lose situation. Yeah, but more people means more safety, right? That might be true, but think about what kind of people they might be. One person could survive for a long time by doing very little wrong. Sure, they'll loot some stores, kill some walkers, break into some homes, but they probably won't do anything major. They won't have to. Even a dozen people, I gestured at the house, can get away with doing very little, but a big group, like an army, like you're hoping for? They need large amounts of food, water, ammo, gas to stay mobile. No, more people isn't going to be good for us. Well, then what are we going to do about this guy? Asked Jason, who had caught up to us. Hope he doesn't see the driveway and decides to stop. Hopefully he's by himself and is just passing through. We reached the end of the driveway and waited. Soon the sound grew louder, and we knew he was getting very close. I walked out into the middle of the road and stared off into the darkness. I saw a small light in the distance gradually growing brighter. The sky was really moving. I walked back over to Matt and Jason and pulled out one of my pistols. We heard rather than saw him pass our driveway. I let out a breath that I hadn't known I was holding. I realized something after he blurred past. The roadblock. I started running. Hey, where are you going? Matt called after me. I pulled out my radio and started yelling into it. Thomas, get a med kit and get down here. A biker's going to hit the roadblock. Oh, crap, I heard Matt and Jason say together as they started after me. I knew I would hear it any second. The roadblock was only a few blocks from the house, and he'd reach it very quickly. With him going so fast and at night, I didn't think he'd have time to stop. I heard the screech of tires and the crunch of metal on metal and the thump of an impact. Reaching the site, we turned our lights to illuminate the scene the best we could. The biker was lying on the ground screaming in agony his bike a twisted pile of steel next to him take this i said handing matt my flashlight kneeling down next to the biker as he clutched an arm to his chest hey i yelled you have to stop moving i said stop moving or you're going to die he was yelling in spanish and i understood just enough to know that he was switching between asking for his mother and praying for help i pulled his helmet off and he screamed even louder where's my med kit he yelled into the radio where are you guys at? Thomas replied. Just get to the roadblock and hurry. Okay, already on my way. What are we going to do? Asked Matt. I won't know until I take a look at him. I said, pulling out my buck knife and flicking it open. The biker's eyes widened at the side of the blade, and he tried to squirm away. Hey, I barked. I'm trying to help you, dude. Stop moving. I didn't want to accidentally cut him, and he could easily hurt himself even... <clears throat> I didn't want to accidentally cut him, 
and could easily hurt himself even more by moving too much. Lucky for both of us, he passed out from the pain. I began cutting through his shirt as Thomas appeared holding one of the many med kits we'd assembled since the raid on the Safeway. Holy crap, Thomas said, dropping the bag next to me. Thanks, I said, ignoring his outburst. Get back to the house. Make sure nothing's happened there. Sure, he said, nodding and running off into the night. I spread the t-shirt open and started cutting his jeans from the pant leg up to his waist. I need more light, guys. They directed all their lights to, the, to help reveal the gruesome scene. Of the several wounds that crisscrossed his body, the worst was the eight inches of metal that protruded from his chest. Oh God, oh God, oh God, I thought as I looked at his wound. It was unlikely that anything I did would help him. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. No, I love it. Bravo, Cody. And um, my favorite part of the whole book was that they were uh, figuring out what to do based on movies and books. That was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, well, that's something I, I, I kind of, and I was going to save this later for, I don't know if this question would pop up, but yeah. that's kind of a unique perspective I took when I wrote this book is there aren't a lot of zombie horror books or movies or anything where the people in them have read those kinds of, of stories and played mm-hmm. those kinds of games. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I wanted, very to, true. Yeah, I like wanted thought, to write something right? from that perspective. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's not just, you know, we might, there are a couple, a couple ones now that came out after I'd originally written this, but I hadn't seen anything on the market like that. And I was like, well, let's, let's, let's write it from someone who not only likes this kind of stuff, but has some skill sets that they can draw from to make, to, to apply the knowledge that they might've learned from a book. I so, love it. Yeah. And that, that was kind of one of the unique things I thought about the story is it's, it's a little different. It's, you know, people, people in this world uh, have read and, and like this kind of stuff. Um, and they're not kind of just wandering around hope helpless. Well, bravo. Wonderful. So listeners, if you're hooked, like I am, you got to know what happens. Definitely get to the show notes, get to Cody's website. Cody, thanks so much for being here. I'd love to bring you back on when you have, you know, another book out. Uh, Make sure you let me know so I can bring you back. Yeah, of course. (laughs) So thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter, where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.